Welcome to the 30th episode of the Head Get Kale podcast. We have a lot to talk about today. We haven't had an episode here in about a week and a half. Last week, there wasn't really anything to talk about uh, because there was no UFC card. And then uh, here where I live, we had a big storm and a power outage. That's why this episode is coming in on a Thursday and not a Sunday or Monday. But that's okay. We're just going to change up the schedule a little bit here. We're going to start off with a preview of UFC 263. Then we're going to move into some other news. And then at the end, we're going to look back on Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Augusto Sakai's uh, fight card of last week. But it's going to be mainly the same stuff we usually do. Uh, in the other news, we're going to talk about everything that we've missed in the past two weeks in terms of fight announcements. And in that section, we're also going to talk about tough. The first two episodes are out of this season. And I'm going to give my initial thoughts and reactions to these first two episodes. Um, and that's something that uh, I might keep up on, might not, depending on how the episode goes. Um, or the season goes rather. If the season's a good season, I'll probably talk about it every week and give my thoughts on the episode. If it starts getting crappy, I'll probably stop talking about it. But you know, we'll see how that goes. But um, to start off, Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori, the rematch is headlining UFC 263, and this fight card is going to be a massive fight card. I mean, just looking at the names we have here. Obviously, the main event just said it, Israel Adesanya, Marvin Vittori, their rematch. Then the co-main, we have Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, their rematch of some a fight that was one of the top three fights of last year, probably, if you're, if you're ranking best fights. So that should be electric. And then possibly the biggest name on the main card, we have Nate Diaz. Versus Leon Edwards, the return of Nate Diaz. Another big name in Damian Maya, taking on a fan favorite in Bilal Muhammad. We've got up and comer Jamal Craig taking on, or excuse me, up and comer Jamal Hill taking on Paul Craig. Jamal Hill is one of my favorite prospects in the light heavyweight division, and I'm excited for that one. We've got Drew Dober and Brad Riddell. They are two of the. They're in that tier of lightweight where they're not quite ranked, but everyone recognizes how good these guys are. And even though they're not ranked, they're still highly talented. And that's just a that's just a result of how stacked this UFC lightweight division is that they're not ranked. But this is still going to be a good fight between two talented guys. And then we have a lot of other important fights as well on this card. Darren Stewart versus Eric Anders. Lauren Murphy versus Joanne Calderwood on the prelims has big, big implications in terms of what's next for Valentina Shevchenko. Hakeem Dawadu and Mozart Envelov are two of the two highly touted prospects at featherweight right now. There's a lot of prospects at featherweight, but Dawadu and Mozar are two of the two of the bigger name prospects. That would do is a fan favorite, fun guy to watch. And then Chase Hooper's also on this card. He is, you know, another well-known prospect who um, it's going to be interesting to see from Chase Hooper what uh, what we see some from him in terms of how much has he grown in the striking department. But 
before now we're going to start getting into each fight kind of breaking down what i think is going to happen in all these so we'll obviously start from the top israel adesanya and marvin vittori this fight here my early thoughts are i'm leaning izzy here and but i recognize how good marvin is and i think marvin does have a chance i think he's being underlooked um overlooked excuse me just a little bit here he's a very talented guy who has a style that could present problems for izzy um he's a he's marvin isn't a terrible striker that's obviously not his bread and butter um if this fight takes place on the feet for extended an extended amount of time this is going to be izzy's fight to win and i don't think anyone is going to argue that but Marvin can get this fight to the ground, and the question is, can Izzy defend these takedowns from Marvin, and if he gets taken down, is he able to get back up? That is kind of, you know, I don't I don't like giving these breakdowns where it's like, oh, we have a striker versus a, a grappler, because a lot of times, you know, that's kind of overplayed and um, overplayed and not really true. But in this fight, I think it I think it applies. You have Izzy, who the he's gonna be able to beat most middleweights in pure striking. The only guy I think that really has a chance is you know you'd like to say Robert Whitaker when it comes to pure striking, but Izzy already finished him once. Darren Till maybe, um, but there's a lot we've seen from Darren Till that uh, would say otherwise. And with Izzy, it's it's the only guy we've seen that has been able to strike with him has been Blahovich. And that is, I think, a part of the size factor here. I think in this fight on the feet, Izzy's going to be the faster striker. And he's going to be able to, you know, hit the target here probably very often. And if Izzy is able to... If Izzy's able to attack low kicks the way he did against Paulo, he is very hard to beat because low kicks are one of the most important aspects of MMA right now. It is very important in modern MMA to be able to kick the calf and be able to defend calf kicks. And Izzy's one of the best at kicking the calf right now. And I think that he's going to be able to beat just about anyone in this middleweight division. And that, you know, that was a really long-winded way to say I have Izzy. I think he'll be able to finish Marvin. I think it's going to be, you know, I don't think it's going to be a, you know, early, you know, KO. I think it's going to be more of an accumulation, you know. I think it's going to be something where we see Marvin start to slow. He, you know, he gets sloppy with takedowns and, Izzy's going to be able to pick him apart. You know, he hits, he's going to kick very well. And I think he's eventually going to, you know, get Marvin in a bad spot and finish him maybe the third or fourth round after he landed a lot of low kicks, after he defended a lot of takedowns. But like I said earlier, if he can't defend those takedowns, it's going to be a rough night for Izzy and Marvin will be able to, to win. But I think Izzy's going to be able to defend those takedowns because historically, at 185 over his last, you know, handful of fights, 
Izzy has shown a lot of improvements in takedown defense. After that Marvin fight, there was kind of an attitude change, I feel like, where he recognized that if he wanted to succeed in MMA, he would have to iron out his ground game. And it looks like that is something he did. And uh, he hadn't really struggled again until he got in there with Blahovich, who outweighed him by a decent margin and was able to control, you know, the final, you know, couple rounds on the ground. And in the early rounds, it was 50-50 on the feet. Maybe a Blahovich lean, uh, you know, more than likely a Blahovich lean on the feet. But regardless of that, I have him winning this fight against Vittori where, like I said earlier, picks apart the lead leg, you know, lots of low kicks. And I think that he's going to be able to counter Marvin very well if Marvin does decide that he wants to strike with Izzy. Izzy's obviously a great counter striker. And, you know, if he can accumulate some counter strikes, some counter hooks, it's going to be a tough night for Marvin. Moving on to the co-main event, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. This fight, I'm leaning towards Figgy here. Very chalky so far. Um, I think there's something to be said for he did not technically win the last fight, but you know he won three of five rounds, and he would have won that fight if he didn't kick Moreno low. And I know that's a that's you know he did that and he lost the point and he deserved to lose the point, so that brought the contest to a draw. And I'm sure that that did affect Moreno in that fight that low kick so whether the point was warranted or not it doesn't matter but I don't think that is the best version of Davison Figueredo that we saw against Brandon Moreno and I think that was Brandon the best version of Brandon Moreno that we've seen in that fight and we had a draw in a fight where a point was taken away so with that being said I think we're going to see a much better version of Davison Figueredo and I think that could be from, you know, there's a lot of rumors that he had food poisoning. He was in the hospital before the fight and after the fight. So if those rumors are true and he fought to a draw with Brandon Moreno with food poisoning, I have a tough time, you know, seeing Moreno winning this fight. I do. And But then again, I also had a tough time seeing him winning the first fight. I probably said the same exact thing. I probably predicted a... Figueredo first round finish I don't remember what it was off the top of my head but I'm sure I'm sure I sat here and said that Figueredo was easily gonna win the first fight and he didn't so you know I could be wrong here but Figueredo is someone who I look at as a very complete fighter and a very and very dominant very dominant and he can win in the majority of aspects of a fight so, when someone like Figueredo, who doesn't have a clear weakness, I'm not picking Figueredo because I don't think, because, you know, it's not like there's a stylistic thing here where he has an advantage stylistically. I just think that he is that well-rounded of a fighter that if this fight's on the ground, is going to be able to find success. If it's on the feet, he'll be able to find success. He, he's possibly the best grappler. Uh, you know, best grappler may be a stretch, but he's a high-level grappler with knockout power and a great striker. And that's something that I struggled to I struggled to predict someone beating Figueredo when he has those abilities. 
I mean, when you look at the, um, when you look at some of his previous fights, his guillotine finishes are lethal, and you know Moreno may be able to out wrestle Figueredo a little bit, but the risk reward there for Moreno is not that great. Because even if you're on the ground in a good position, there's always that threat of Figueredo from the bottom getting a finish via guillotine or another submission. Where I don't think that's going to come into play that much. And in the first fight, Moreno was able to have some success on the ground, which is probably the most surprising aspect for me because of how good Figueredo looked on the ground in the last couple fights. But I think that... The the main thing that made this fight close the first time around was the conditioning of Figueredo. He looked too slow, and that could have been if he really did have food poisoning. And it sounds like I'm making an excuse for Figgy here, but if he had food poisoning like he claimed, you know, the conditioning isn't going to be there. And he probably went out there looking for an early finish if he was not you know, feeling great. So if if Figueredo is in good condition and has his conditioning where it needs to be, which I think he will, I think he'll be able to beat Moreno. And I think with higher output, that first fight would have been his. And it would have been his without the mistake of the um, kicks to the groin. So I'm, le- I'm leaning Figueredo here, and I think he will, will be able to get this done. I think he will be able to get this done via a finish, um, submission, knockout. I could see either. I'm not gonna sit. He, you know, it's it's a really it's really fifty fifty here. So, um, in terms of is it a is it gonna be a submission or a fin- or a knockout? I could see both. So I'm just going to I'm just gonna predict finish, and it could come whenever. Really, kind of a boring prediction, but. I feel like that's that's true. Now, possibly the most interesting fight on the card, Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. This is the return of Nate Diaz. And this is this is I'm a big Nate Diaz fan. I love the Diaz brothers, but it it feels like Nate's kind of bit off more than he can chew here. I mean, Nate is naturally an undersized welterweight. So anytime he's fighting at 170 against the 170 pounders, he's going to be at a disadvantage. We saw that in the Masvidal fight, I feel like. Masvidal was able to land against Nate. And, you know, those shots hurt Nate. Previous fights at 170 against Connor. Connor was able to land, and Connor isn't, especially at that time, wasn't a natural 170 pounder. He was able to knock Nate down a handful of times. You know, Nate ha- hasn't been finished, and he's only been finished once, and it was a head kick from Josh Thompson. With that being said, he's been knocked down plenty of times, and Leon Edwards is someone who is so technical and so composed that I think he will be able to land on Nate Diaz. I think if he gets in close, the the elbows are going to be a big problem from Edwards. Leon Edwards has great elbows. But with that being said, Nate Diaz also is a very good boxer. You know, if you put Nate Diaz in a phone booth, he could box his way out of it. 
And I mean, especially in the Pettis fight, the Pettis fight was clear on that. Nate's very good at mixing between the head and the body, landing shots, especially when he's got you backed up against the fence. But I feel like that's a position that we may not see that often. And if Leon Edwards can land elbows when they're that close, and if he can get in the clinch with Nate, it's going to be a very tough fight for Nate to win. And it also depends on what version of Nate we see. If we see a Nate Diaz that is more willing to use his ground game and his great BJJ, he's going to have a, a much better chance to win this fight. But if he comes in and tries to, you know, box the whole time, it's going to be a little bit tougher because on the feet, Nate is really very one-dimensional in terms of output. He is, you know, mostly just his hands. Leon Edwards is going to mix it up, you know. He, he isn't just going to come in here and try and box with you. He's going to, you know, use kicks, use elbows, use everything. More of a Muay Thai style. I would, uh, you know, I don't want to call Leon Edwards a Muay Thai fighter, but he's going to he's gonna mix it up and utilize a lot more tools than Nate will use. And I, and, and I really just, I don't, I don't, I don't really see a path to victory here, especially because if Nate wants to use his cardio to his advantage, this is a five-round fight, so that does that does help Nate. If this was a three-round fight, I think it would be very, very difficult to see Nate winning, but if Nate can draw it out a little bit, he's going to have a better chance, and, um, but overall... Leon Edwards, in terms of gambling and betting, Leon Edwards is a big favorite on the lines. And I think that is justified. I don't know if he'll be able to finish Nate, but I think Leon is going to be able to get some knockdowns and draw out, you know, even if it goes five rounds, he, he will have knockdowns and have some very successful moments. And he'll be able to, you know, get a unanimous decision win. That's what I'm seeing here. And um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'd be glad I'm wrong. I, it would be great for the sport if Nate Diaz went out there right now and touched up Leon Edwards and was able to go out there and put on a Nate Diaz-esque performance beating Leon Edwards. That'd be good for the sport. Anytime Nate is winning, it's good for the sport. So I hope Nate can win just in terms of nothing against Leon. But I want this sport to grow and be successful. And I think with Nate Diaz making a run at the 170 title, I think that is the best way to do that. And um, do I think it's going to happen? No. But I think it would be a crazy turn of events if we saw a successful Nate Diaz once again. Um, and I may, be, I may be overlooking Nate. This may be, I don't want to say you know, I guess recency bias because he didn't look great in the Masvidal fight. There wasn't, there weren't very many moments in that Masvidal fight where, um, watching, I was, I wasn't watching that fight thinking, oh wow, Nate Diaz has a chance here. And I bought that pay-per-view for Nate Diaz. That was, I believe that was the first pay-per-view I've ever bought. And that was when I was still, you know, relatively newer in the sport and watching that fight. You know, you there was never a feeling that Nate was going to win that. And um, that's just unfortunate. But I think we may see another run back of the, a similar type fight. Um, 
Maybe this one doesn't get ended by cut. You know, I think if Masvidal has a chance to finish that fight, if, you know, if there's no cut and um, maybe he doesn't, he won the first three rounds, you know, maybe some 10-8s in there. I haven't watched that fight in a while. Regardless, um, that was a very bad night for Nate Diaz. And I think Leon Edwards could do that to a similar extent. You know, 2019 Masvidal probably has a little bit more power in his hands than Leon does right now. And Masvidal landed a big kick in there. You know, maybe maybe it's not the exact same, but very similar. And I feel like I've, I have been long-winded on this one again. So we're just going to move on with a my final prediction, Leon Edwards, unanimous decision, victory for him. Then... The next fight on the main card below, Muhammad versus Damian Maya. This fight here is, I'm le- I think we're gonna see below Muhammad show up in this fight, and I just don't see Damian Maya winning. His last fight was against Gilbert Burns, I believe, and he wanted a retirement fight in Brazil, and but he wanted that fight, you know, two years ago, really. Um, a year ago, maybe a year and a half, you know, it's been a while that Damian Maia has been looking for a retirement fight in Brazil and he never got it. And it looks like now it just feels like Damian Maia has been out of the sport in terms of, you know, when you're, he's been wanting to retire for a year. And I feel like when you've been wanting to retire for that long, um, I think this is his, this is his retirement fight. I'm assuming. And I think Bilal Muhammad is going to be able to put on a very good performance against someone who, you know, probably should have already retired. If you've been wanting to retire for a year and you just haven't done it because you wanted a final fight to kind of, you know, put the gloves down, you know, you probably should have retired. So I think Bilal Muhammad is going to come in here against someone who, you know, his head is probably already out of it. And he's going to have a very successful night on the feet because he is a better striker by a large margin. And, you know, in some of Bilal Muhammad's most recent fights, he's looked good on the feet. Um, excluding Leon Edwards, you know, he lost that first round. But regardless, um, his fight before that, he, he I was very impressed by the feet. He was able to get in, get out, you know, hit, not get hit. And I think that's something he'll be able to do against Damian Maya. And I think he will be able to get a finish here, you know, first round, second round, you know, an early finish for Bilal Muhammad here. And then Jamal Hill and Paul Craig. Um, bias, bias, um, bias, you know, warning here because I am a big fan of Jamal Hill. Um, I go to college down in Grand Rapids. That's where Jamal's Hill is from. So I'm a big Jamal Hill fan and I'm a big believer that he can do big things in this sport. I was very impressed with his last performance against Ovin St. Preux. Going up against another grappler here. Um, OSP is obviously a great grappler. So is Paul Craig. But as long as this fight is on the feet, I think Jamal Hill is going to be able to land. Um, Jamal Hill is very crisp boxing, and he has very good finishing instincts. That is the one thing that I was most impressed with about his performance against OSP, when when there was blood in the water, Jamal Hill stayed composed and just kept landing shots. And he never, 
when he had OSP on the ropes, he never let him get off. He never gave him a chance to recover. And that is something that, you know, Jamal Hill is very talented at. And I think he's going to be able to hurt Paul Craig in this fight. He's going to be able to land. He's going to be able to land early and often. And he, he's going to have to be able to defend takedowns here. He can't let Paul Craig get this to the ground. And I think he'll be able to do that. That's something that he has done in the past. And I think Jamal Craig, um, I don't think he's going to land a big right hand that, you know, puts uh, Paul Craig out cold. But I think Jamal Hill is going to, you know, land land a right hand that maybe wobbles him. And then, you know, he's going to bring up the pressure. He's going to get him up against the cage, and he's going to keep throwing, and he's going to eventually get the finish. So I'm looking Paul Craig finish, or excuse me, Jamal Hill finish probably in the second round here. And I think it also, I think it's going to be a great, fun, exciting fight, and I think it's going to be an electric electric opening to this pay-per-view, and it's probably the fight that, um, for me, watching all these fights, there's a couple fights that, you know, watching, where obviously the top three fights, big time names, big time fights, you're always going to be pumped for those. But on a pay-per-view, there's always a couple fights that you're just ready for. You know, Paul Craig and Jamal Hill are what, 14 and 15th in the world at um, light heavyweight. But I'm just ready for this one. Same with same with Dawadu and Mosvar. It's another fight I'm just ready for. There's fights on this card that are gonna that are gonna be fun fights regardless of you know just Drew Dober versus Brad Riddell. The next fight I'm gonna talk about these are gonna be fun fights. This is gonna be a fun card. It's gonna be a fun night of fights. So make sure you watch them all. Prelims are looking juicy, and Drew Dober versus Brad Riddell. This is gonna be a good one, and I'm torn on where we're going for this one. I like. I like um I like Drew Dober and Brad Riddell a lot, but sorry for the moment of silence. I don't know who I'm gonna pick in this one. I haven't decided yet. Drew Dober, you know, just took on Islam. And I think that there were some moments in that fight where I was very impressed by Drew Dober because he was going up against, you know, a very a very good Islam. Brad Riddell is also no joke, no fool. And I think I'm leaning. Yeah, I I might just. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go with. With Brad Riddell in this one. Not by a large margin. I think this is going to be a close fight. Either way. Both guys can win this fight. It's going to be a close one. I lean Brad Riddell by decision, but if Drew Dober goes out there and wins, I'm not surprised one bit. And I think that's the last fight I'm going to talk about on this card. I don't want to. I already highlighted the big fights. Um, you know, we'll talk about Joanne Calderwood and Lauren Murphy, actually. This is going to be a fun, important fight, and I'm going... I'm going Joanne Calderwood in this one. I was very impressed with her last performance against against Jessica. I I think she'll be able to be be able to go out there and get it done, and it's going to be interesting to see what's next for um, the flyweight women. This is an important fight, and we're going to talk about um, does the winner get Valentina, 
Is the winner going to get a title shot here soon? Possibly. I'm going to talk about that next week when we do the post UFC 263 episode. Um, it's going to be close. It's going to be close. We'll have to see how that turns out. If it's a fun fight, if someone impresses, you know, maybe maybe they do get the next title shot. And then Hakeem Dawadu versus Mozvar Evelev. My my head is telling me that Mozvar is going to win this one, but my heart is telling me Dawadu. Dawadu is a fun, exciting fighter to watch, and I hope he goes out there and gets a dub because he has, you know, fan favorite written all over him. His last fight was an exciting and fun one to watch. Hopefully he goes out there and puts on another very similar performance. But um, Hakeem Dawadu is fun to watch. And that's the last thing I'm going to say in regards to UFC 263. Starts at 10 o'clock on Saturday. Make sure you tune in. Um, Make sure you come back here on either Sunday or Monday. Maybe even Tuesday depending on how the work schedule is, because I'm going to talk about this card, talk about the fallout, and because there's going to be a lot to talk about. Because these three fights on top of the main card are very, very important in terms of the what's going on in the UFC. Two of them are title fights. One's a fight with one, probably a top five star. How does Leon Edwards come out looking with that fight of Nate Diaz? Is he a new star? What does Damian Maya retire? Does Bilal Muhammad get a win? Does Jamal Hill prove that he should skyrocket in these light heavyweight rankings? Does Drew Dober and Brad Riddell, you know, do they move back into the top fifteen? Do who gets the next title shot against Valentina? Who is one of the best prospects at one forty five? There's a lot of questions that we're gonna have answers to, and there's gonna be a lot of new questions that rise. From this card so make sure you don't miss it I feel like I'm advertising for the UFC um, but I truly believe that that this is gonna be a fun card that you don't want to miss now we're gonna move into some other news inside the UFC and we're gonna start it off with the oldest piece of news that probably happened a week and a half ago but because I haven't recorded I haven't talked about Max Holloway versus the A.A. Rodriguez has been booked for July now. This is wild to me because Max Holloway is a savage for this. He doesn't have to fight. He gets the next title fight at 145. All he has to do is say, all right, I'll, I'll take it. You know, even if Ortega beats Volkanovski, I doubt we get that rematch. Barring any unforeseen circumstances like eye pokes, you know, nut shots, you know, injuries, things of that nature, chances are, if it's a comp- if it's even if it's close and competitive, chances are Max Holloway gets to that next fight regardless. And instead of just sitting on the sidelines and waiting, Max Holloway decided, let me go in there and fight Yair Rodriguez, who is someone who is a killer in his own right. Yair Rodriguez is very talented and is a is an interesting matchup for Max because there's a lot of ways that, you know, there's a lot of ways that this fight could go. Well, not really. What am I saying here? What am I saying here? What I'm saying is 
yeah, Rodriguez is talented and he has a shot. Um, I w- I'm not gonna when it comes time to predict for this fight, I'm not gonna predict Yair and I'm not gonna pick Max, and that's because, you know, I pick Max no matter what, so there's no point in me even saying here. But um I think that the kick game and I think that the best way to beat Max Holloway is to keep him at a distance and not let him get in his rhythm. And I think kicks up from Yair could potentially slow the rhythm of Max Holloway. With that being said, if Max Holloway Max Holloway is a good first round and gets in a rhythm, it's going to be a bloodbath, and he's going to win by a mile. He's, but Yair, I think, has a better chance to abrupt or disrupt that rhythm than, you know, Kelvin Cater did. And I think he has a better shot of doing that than a lot of guys do. And, um, you know, Yair probably has a better shot of doing that than the likes of Korean Zombie, you know, maybe Ortega. That was something that Volkanovski did very well by kicking the leg. I think Volkanovski laid out a good game plan on how to beat Max. And let's see if Yair can use his kicks to do that. But... Um, we'll talk more about that when it comes time, but I think the the main thing here is Max Holloway didn't have to do this, but he's doing it. He could have sat out until November and got a chance for the title. Instead, he wanted to stay active and is fighting a killer. So all respect to Max Holloway for even taking this fight, even listening to phone calls for fights. You know, the UFC could have called. I imagine he had to call the UFC to get a fight. I imagine the UFC was okay with him just sitting on the sidelines and waiting for the next title shot. He probably had to call the UFC and said, hey, I want to fight. And the UFC was probably like, well, okay, if you want to, you know. So respect to Max Holloway here. Hopefully, hopefully, um, I'm sure this fight will be a fun fight, and hopefully... Um, Max Holloway can get it done so we can see him fighting for the belt again soon because when, it's interesting here about Max Holloway. He's still so young. He's still building a legacy, and that is very impressive in its own right. And then the other, probably the next biggest piece of news was Paulo Costa is out versus Jared Cannonier and Kelvin Gastelum is in. We're going to start with the easier piece to talk about here, and that's Kelvin Gastelum is in for this fight with Jared Cannonier. This is an opportunity that Kelvin Gastelum only 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 gets by stepping in on short, not even that that short of notice. But, you know, this division is pretty booked up, and Kelvin Gastelum doesn't get a top-five fight without someone pulling out. So he was able to get a fight with Jared Cannonier. And um, Cannonier is probably going to be the heavy favorite here, I'm assuming. And... I'm interested to see how Cannonier does returning from an injury. And let's see if Kelvin Gastelum can go out there and get a win against a top five guy. Because that would shake up the division. A Kelvin Gastelum win over Jared Cannonier. Now, the tougher part here is Paulo Costa pulled out. Not because he was injured. Not because he was sick. Because he wasn't getting paid enough. Now, this is a tough topic to talk about. Because... I don't like talking about fighter pay here because it's hard to, first of all, it's hard to figure out, you know, the exact numbers. I could sit here and talk about fighter pay all day, 
but I don't know how much Paulo Costa was offered to, to to take this fight. You know, did Paulo was Paulo Costa offered a million dollars and said no? Was he offered five thousand dollars and said no? Both of those are unlikely numbers, but you get what I'm saying. Is I can't judge if Paulo Costa is doing the right thing here because I don't know what he's getting paid, and you know. There have been, you know, numerous accounts where, you know, fighters have been getting paid from outside of their reported numbers. So it's hard to even look at reported numbers to determine fighter pay. Many guys have said that, you know, what the reported numbers are for fighter pay, that isn't really what they're getting. Now, I do think that fighter pay is an issue and fighter pay and fighters should be paid more. But for Paulo just to pull out in that fight, it really, it I don't think this does much to get fighter pay solved. For each fighter pulling out, like Paulo here, he's not doing anything to get fighter. He could, in the short term, get himself paid more. That's good. Yes, that's good. But he's not doing anything in the long term to get this issue solved the larger issue of fighter pay because I believe the number is 18% of all revenue goes to the fighters and that's just simply not high enough it's the lowest of all major sports what does Paulo Costa pulling out and maybe he gets more money from the UFC maybe you know they give Paulo Costa the number he wants and we're all good but what does that do in the long term to get fighter pay higher than 18% you know, that's the issue I have here is we have a lot of fighters who don't really want to, you know, we have a lot of fighters who don't really want to do anything in the long term. They just want their short term issue solved. And I get that, you know, and but I just don't know if that's the most effective because if I was at a job and, you know, everyone else was getting underpaid, you know, and I was able to get paid more, I'd be like, you know, that kind of solves the issue I'm having in terms of my own pay. So I get, I get why fighters are doing it, but I don't think it solves the issue. We have some old fighters um, calling for the Ali Act. I'm going to be honest, I've tried looking into the Ali Act, trying to figure out, you know, is this good for the sport? Is this bad for the sport? I can't ever find any information on it, you know, um, Anytime you try and look up the Ali Act, it's always like, oh, it, you know, make sure the fighters, you know, it'll give you some like jargon about how it protects the fighters and it, you know, helps the fighters, uh, you know, not getting screwed over by the UFC pretty much. But you don't really, it, it doesn't really, I've never found out how. I don't know how the UFC or how the Ali Act works, how it protects the fighters, how does it do these things that it claims it does. I don't know how. All I know about the Ali Act that I am 100% sure about is that it came from boxing and that boxing kind of stinks, right? Uh, us UFC fans, you know, a lot. there's a lot of UFC fans who um, drag down on boxing and talk about how bad boxing is. And the thing I don't think we should do, I don't think we should, you know, go, oh, boxing did this, let's copy boxing. Because we talk trash about how boxing is so crappy and it has 
you know, this board is watered down because there's, you know, the big time fights never get made. And, you know, boxing also, you know, their headliners get paid more, but their prelim guys get paid, you know, chump change. So how much does the Ali Act do to protect all the fighters and not just the top guys? Is it doing a good job at getting the top guys paid? Yeah, I guess so. Is it doing a good job at getting the, you know, the first guy jerking the curtain? Is it doing a good job getting him paid? I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong here. And, you know, a lot of people say union is the answer. But if you look at other sports organizations and their unions, it they're always a mess. You know, the NFLPA has never really been successful. They always lose negotiations and have situations where they, you know, don't really get the the how the the things the NFL players want, the union isn't very good at getting those things for them. You know, that was very broad, but you know, a lot of unions for other sports just aren't successful and usually lose to the owners in terms of, you know, bargaining and things like that. Um, so why would the, you know, why would the uh, a UFC union be any different? And I don't want to see the UFC collapse over fighter pay because I don't want this situation like boxing has where there's 10 promoters, there's 10 belts that all mean something. And, you know, boxing, you know, we still haven't seen Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Name another fight that we haven't seen in MMA because of contract negotiations. Um, in terms of the, the guys we have now, you know, there isn't really any fights we haven't seen that we've been, you know, thirsting to see. The big one was Ngannou versus Stipe. That fight eventually was made. Um, and that fight wasn't happening because of one of the greatest of all time. And, St and two of the greatest of all time were having a trilogy. So the up-and-comer Francis, I don't want to, well, I guess Francis wasn't an up-and-comer. So the top contender didn't get an opportunity because two legends were having a trilogy match. You know, Robert and I, you know, Robert Whitaker not getting this fight now may be an issue or may could be one, but I mean this would be the equivalent. You know, it's the when we don't see UFC fights. <coughs> sorry about that. When we don't see UFC fights, there's usually an explanation other than money. I guess Jones versus Ngannou is the one that we haven't seen because of money. But, you know, I don't think that that is something that, I think that's a different situation because they're both under contract with the same organization and we're just not able to come, come into terms with money. And I feel like that situation is a little different because it sounds like John Jones is asking for ridic ridiculous amounts and that's something that Paulo Costa is not doing. Right now, it sounds like Paulo is just wants to get paid what he got paid to fight Izzy, which, you know, I guess, you know, you could make the case that he should get paid less because it's not a title fight. You could make that case, but how much less, you know? So I feel like to summarize that it's a slippery slope where, you know, on one hand, I don't want to see MMA turn into boxing. 
And at the same time, I want to see fighters get paid more. So how do we go about that? And the two kind of, you know, ways, the conventional ways where people say, oh, this will get fighters paid more, um, being the Ali Act and a union, I feel like both of those are routes that have been tried and have not truly worked. I guess you could make a case the union has kind of worked in other sports because they do see pay increases. But, you know, it's 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 a tough, slippery slope, and I don't have the answer. And I think if there was a clear-cut answer, we would have we would have seen the answer. And it and it wouldn't be an issue now. But um, hopefully we just see the UFC start to pay their athletes more so we can avoid a union and we can avoid the Ali Act and we can avoid those things. And I think that Endeavor buying out or whatever the new UFC owners are called, um, I believe it's Endeavor, right? But... The them, the new, yeah, Endeavor. Them buying out the UFC, they, oh, no, it's not Endeavor. What am I talking about? They're obviously the originals with Zufa. Um, why can't I think of this? I'm drawing a blank. Um, I'm drawing an absolute blank. But the point is, they bought out the remainder of the, why can't I, I'm trying to Google this and I can't find it, it's just nowhere. Whatever, whatever. Um, the, they bought out, they buy out the all the my the minority owners which were a bunch of a bunch of celebrities dana you know a bunch of people like that they oh yeah it is endeavor whatever doesn't matter doesn't matter whatever the name of the company is they buy they buy out all the minority owners and they now own a hundred percent so when when that happens, I think that is that happened on March 31st. And I think that is something that we need to look out for because I think that could, um, we could see a fighter increase in pay because we no longer have, you know, when you have minority owners, you have to give them a percentage of the earnings. So when you have, you know, the Rock, say, I believe he was one of them. Halle Berry was one of them. So when she, owned, say she owned 1% of the company, Halle Berry, you know, 1% of your earnings got to go to her. Um, so now that you don't have to kick out any more of that money, you have more money left over. Does that mean we see an increase in fighter pay? Maybe, maybe not. But I think that is something that, and now that they own 100%, that is something that we could see as, you know, a positive for the sport as now as, you know, you, you, I, you, you get what I'm saying here? That is a way where the UFC fighters can pay more because they don't have to split money anymore between different groups. And there's more revenue left over because you're not shelling out, you know, 
whatever percentage they had to shell out. Uh, but that may take time to come into effect because, say, you had to buy all those people out. So now all that money that you could have gave to the fighters to buy out or all that money you could have gave to the fighters, you gave that to um, Holly Berry, The Rock, you know, those people. But now, you know, that's a one-time deal. So I think over long term, that could be something that we see that helps the UFC fighters get paid more. And we just went down a slippery, slippery slope, and now we're off track. So let's get back on track. Um, we're going to do three three fight announcements that I was interested in, but I'm not going to go in-depth on all of them. I think these are going to be three fun fights that have been amount, announced. First, um, actually, we're going to go four. Michelle Pieda and Nico Price on UFC 264. Another fight on UFC 264, Sugar Sean O'Malley versus Luis Smolka. That fight was officially announced, but it was signed a while ago. Then, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann on September 18th, and Casey Kenny versus Song Yudong on August 7th. And the last piece of news out in the UFC is Tough. Tough has been a little underwhelming so far through the first two episodes because. I wish we had more, I wish the episodes were longer, and I wish we had more background on who all these people were. Like, I like you get, like, the look into, you get a look into each fighter, you know, their kind of backstory. You get that right before they fight, but, you know... Everyone else in the house, I you don't really know anything about them yet. Like the dude to our fight next week, you, I really don't know much about them. You know, you got five minutes about them at the end of last week's episode. And the most of the guys on the in there, you don't know anything about and you won't know anything about them until they start to, until they have their first fight. So I wish there would have been something more of an introduction so I kind of had a rough idea of who all these people were. You know, before the teams were even picked, like when teams were being picked, I was sitting here watching the teams get picked, and I was like, I've heard each of these dudes say, like, four words. Why do I care which team they're on, you know? And then they, and then the editing is so shit. Um, I mean, it's like, for the whole first episode, they talk up this dude from Alaska, what was his name, Aaron Phillips, I think. They talk this dude up about how he's a slick boxer and how he could get this done with his hands. And then 15 seconds before the first, before his fight, he was like, yeah, I'm looking to get my first knockout. It's like, okay, so he's not a slick boxer. He can't be that good of a boxer if he doesn't have any knockouts in amateur fighting. And is if you're going up against, you know, if you're on the regional scene with no knockouts, you're not a slick boxer. It's just, that is, uh, sorry, you know. I don't know how it's like if you have zero takedowns, you're not a good wrestler. If you fight five dudes and don't take any of them down, you don't get to say, oh, I'm a real dominant wrestler. It's just not how it goes. And they, they just didn't have a way. They didn't have a way to edit that dude to make it look competitive other than saying, oh, he's going to be a slick boxer. And then they just go and shoot themselves in the, their own foot saying, oh, well, you know, I'm looking for my first knockout. Okay, so what I just heard for half an hour, you were lying to me. It doesn't make sense. 
and then they hype up Mitch Raposo like he's supposed to be the next coming of Jesus, and then he loses in the first round. It's like, why are we putting so much editing effort into the dude who loses? And I mean, I get it. You want to make it the, each fight compelling, but at the same time, they were giving Mitch Raposo this edit like he was going to be the winner. He got more screen time. He, they were looking like he was going to win the whole episode and, or the whole season. And maybe he gets back in. Maybe he does really good. But why are we spending so much time, you know, we're getting almost no interaction between, you know, these guys in the house. And I'll be honest, this is the first episode of Tough I've ever watched, or for season, excuse me, because I had, you know, I'm relatively um, not, I don't want to say new, but, you know, I kind of started watching, you know, early 2019, you know, late 2018, and more casually, but I never really became a hardcore fan here for a minute. But, you know, I had been a hardcore fan for a while before starting the podcast, so don't think, oh, he, you know, just started a podcast out of nowhere. That's not really how that went. But um, I was never a hardcore fan while Tuff was on air, really. So, and I've never wanted to go back and watch previous seasons because I've seen all the cool clips, you know. I've seen Rampage pulling the door down. I've seen, you know, all the good trash talk from Connor and Uriah. I've seen, you know, Chael uh, not letting Vandalay get close. I've seen all those. So if I go back and watch the seasons, I've seen the clips of Nate and Tony talking to people and getting into arguments. I've seen all that stuff. So why would I want to go back? I've already seen all the cool stuff. You know, I'd just be going through watching the shit and then re-seeing stuff I've already seen. I'd be like, oh, this isn't very entertaining. And then the entertaining thing comes on, and I've already seen it 30 times on Twitter. So I'm not going to go back and watch any of those. But with that being said, um, you know, I, I wish we were getting more interaction out of the people in the house. I feel like that's a good way to get to know people. Um, we're really getting like five minutes of house interaction each time. And we're getting a lot of clips from, you know, um, you know, these people like, oh, this is my home. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Should have just showed me that one time in the first episode. They would have. See, I would have liked a, like the way Survivor, I'm a, I, I used to watch Survivor all the time, not as much anymore. But the way Survivor did it was, you know, you got 20 people. The first episode's like a long one, a longer episode. And then you just like introduce every single person in the first episode and you kind of get a sense of who that person is and then for the rest of the um the rest of the show you focus on what happened during the show like they have a whole week's worth of film because apparently there's like one fight a week or something or i don't know exactly how that goes but we're seeing like five minutes of a place where cameras are rolling 24 7 it's like what are we doing here what are we doing what are we doing? This sucks. Hopefully it gets a little better, but right now I'm not too impressed. Um, I think with that being said, I'm not too impressed in the reality TV aspect of the show because it could be way better. It could be so much better and it could, and it still could get better. You know, it's not like it's dead in the water, but that being said, the fighting aspect of the show, I'm very interested in. And I think some of these guys have very high potential. From what I've seen so far, I was impressed with Andre's first performance in his first fight. And in the second fight with Mitch, I think Mitch looks very good on the feet. And I think he has high UFC potential 
in in the future he's still very young and the guy he fought I can't remember his name um doesn't matter really um I could figure it out but it's not that big of a deal um well I guess it is because you know kind of look like a dick you know not really knowing his name but um he looked very good and came in with a good game plan on how to win that fight and he was able to do it Lud oh Ludwig yeah See, um, he had a very impressive performance and came in with a good game plan. And Mitch Raposo here looked very good on the feet, and he got taken down by the bigger, lengthier guy, and he's not even a bantamweight. He's a flyweight. So I think it's it's nice seeing some of these guys who could be the future of MMA right now, you know, in that setting. So... The fighting aspect, I'm so ready for, but I just wish the reality TV aspect was a little bit more entertaining, because I'm watching paint dry here, and then they have, I don't even know how long the episodes are, probably 30 minutes, 45 minutes, They're, they seem short, and then they have this you post-tough after show, where I listen to this Charlie lady talk to some, you know, random dude that was on another reality TV show. And she talks to Chael. She asks Chael two questions. The two questions she asks Chael are the best five minutes of the show, the post-tough show. Then she has some, you know, she throws another boring interview in there. Nothing against her because she's just doing her job, and she's not doing that bad, but they just didn't give her much to work with. And then she has the coach. She, like, she interviewed Ortega, and, you know, you can't really say anything because everything that happens you can't spoil the rest of the show so Ortega's got to go on there and say you know nothing just give me another hour of the show don't let make me watch the extra crap just give me the show you know I just kind of frustrating here and then we get like a sneak peek that's you know she was like oh here's something that happened back scenes in the house that we can show you or behind the scenes in the house that we can show you and I was like why didn't you just put that was a good clip why didn't you just put it in the real show it's like what the hell are we doing here doesn't make any sense. Now, with that being said, I am enjoying tough as much as I've made it look like I'm not. So, don't think I'm trying to trash it here because I actually am enjoying it. I am enjoying it, but there's just a lot of ways that they could make it so much better. And it's evident why it failed because they just, you know, do the shit I just talked about. And it's frustrating. With that being said, that's all the um, other news that I want to talk about. So, now... We're going to do a quick, I'm sorry, once again, fucking sneezing all around. So, this episode has gone off the rails. I'm a little rusty. My allergies are bad. So, got went on like two rants. But you know what happens. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's, let's go back. Let's rewind about a week and a half to Jorginho Rosenstrike versus Augusto Sakai. I'm not going to do a big breakdown of what happened in the X and O's of this fight. But main point here, Jarzinho gets a good finish. And we're going to talk about what is next for Jarzinho Rosenstruck before we get out of here. Um, Jarzinho, I think um, the fight to make, the only option really is Curtis Blades. And that hurts me to say because that's about the worst matchup. You could give Jarzinho Rosenstrike as Curtis Blades, and it's a shame. 
but it's looking like that's the direction we're going to go. I don't think we're going to see anyone below Jarzinho fight anyone below him. So it's looking like it's going to be Curtis Blades. But golly, that's about the worst matchup you could give Jarzinho Rosenstrike unless he waits for like Surreal Gan and Alexander Volkov and then takes the loser cuz I'd be down for Rosenstrike versus Volkov. I guess he already fought Gan, so that's kind of out of question. But, you know, Volkov versus Rosenstrike would be my favorite matchup for Rosenstrike right now. And I think once we get this heavyweight kind of log jam figured out, um, there's going to be a lot of good options for Jarzinho because he is moving up in the rankings. And then the other fight, other heavyweight fight, Walt Harris versus Marcin Tabora. Walt Harris lost. It always sucks seeing Walt Harris lose because he's such a cool guy. And he always seems like he's going to win. He landed a barrage of heavy strikes and then gets taken down and finished, which sucks for Walt Harris. But Walt Harris, um, I'd like to see him against a prospect like Chris Dowskis or Tom Aspinall. And for Marcin Tabora, um, moving up in the rankings, good for him. Augusto Sakai, maybe an interesting fight. Um, Shamil, I believe is booked to fight, but that would be another interesting matchup for Marcin Tabora. And then the last fight I want to talk about from that night is Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Miguel Baeza. That was a fun fight, fight of the night, and both these guys stock rose. Obviously, Ponzinibbio gets a win, his stock rises, you know, pretty self-explanatory. However, on the other hand, Miguel Baeza goes out there and almost beats Ponzinibbio, looked very good in some moments, and he proved he's a fringe top 15 guy, but he is nowhere close to peaking in that division. And I think that both these guys are very talented guys. And I'm excited to see Ponzinibbio back in the rankings. And he's going to get a ranked guy next. Question is, who is it? Um, it's probably going to be someone who's not ranked right now. Because it sounds like Damian Maya is going to retire. So that will open up a ranking. You know, Below Muhammad could move up. So, I, you know, that might be out of reach. Jeff Neal may be an interesting matchup there. But then again, I also like Li Jingliang versus Jeff Neal. Um, so, you know, there's some directions they could go with Ponzinibbio. But um, I want to see him fight a top 10, or excuse me, a 10 to 15 guy, someone in that range. Um, I don't want to see him jump all the way up to the top 15 yet. Beat one more guy and then move up to the top 15 because um, we got to see him prove against another big name. Well, not a big name, but a talented guy. So, and Baeza. Um, for Baeza, just get him a talented guy that is a fight for him. And um, he's going to keep improving, and he's going to be in a good position going forward. I had no clue Drew Dober was 13th still. I thought he was unranked. We've seen a lot of movement in these lightweight rankings in the last two weeks. So, Drew Dober is 13. So, um, I said he was unranked earlier, so my mistake on that. And um, that's how we're going to end it. My bad on that one. But thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. It was a long one. We were off for two weeks. Um, well, week and a half. We were off for one week, and then we were late this week because I had a power outage. So sorry about that. But make sure you come back and watch next week because we're going to be doing a breakdown 
of what happened at UFC 263. I'm not a rocket scientist, and I, I can't see in the future. But if I had to guess, I would say that this fight card is going to be a fun one, and it's going to be a fun episode afterwards, talking about everything that happened during it and looking forward to... Uh, we're also, yeah, we'll look forward to the Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige. That's going to be a fun fight. Um, the rest of the card has some other nice names on it. We'll talk about that. And I'll find any fight announcements, any more news. You know, maybe we'll have an update on Paulo Costa. Maybe we won't. So I'll talk about anything interesting that happened throughout the week as well. But it's going to mainly be a UFC 263 breakdown next week so tune in for that because it should be a good time although i'll have a good time sitting here talking about it so thank you for watching this episode and make sure you tune in next week thank you again goodbye